Blog Talk Radio. BDPAI Radio showcases IT entrepreneurs, technology experts, and computer science academics. We highlight people with a passion for educating our youth in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. BDPAI Radio Show serves the BDPA members, sponsors, entrepreneurs, educational institutions, and the black community. BDPAI Radio, linking business, education, and technology. Well, welcome to the BDPAI Radio Show. I'm Fran McNeil, producer of the BDPAI Radio Show, and tonight is Tuesday, May the 26th, 2015. We are very fortunate to have in our virtual studio several guests. The first guest, Jonathan Hollifield. He is co-founder and chief evangelist of Scala Park. Our second guest, a very special guest, Midge Johnson, is past chapter president of BDPA Washington, D.C., and when she is interviewed, you will hear much more about her extensive BDPA connection. And ideally, in the studio, joining us as our third guest will be Bilal Manami, vice president of National Technology Association. So very early, thank you to our co-host, Wayne Hicks, who is joining us in the studio, La Cruz, and our continuing co-host team of Ron Story and Tim Butt. Our studio engineer is Everaldo Gallimore, and I am very excited to turn over the microphone to Wayne Hicks as so that he can start our very first interview with Jonathan. Wayne? Thank you very much, friend. I appreciate it. Um, I want to start off just by saying hello to Jonathan. Uh, welcome to the BDP iRadio show. It's a pleasure to host you on our show tonight, and, and just want to thank you for being a guest. Absolutely, Wayne. It's uh, it's a pleasure to join you all, uh, a long admirer of BDPA, and happy to be here this evening. So you are calling into the show from your home base there in the Cleveland area, and, of course, uh, Cleveland has recently been going through an awful lot of controversy that's been very, very public in terms of uh, interactions with the police. Uh, we're going to spend some time talking about some things that have not been as public, about uh, ways that you're working in a positive direction to improve the innovative uh, economy, improve things in our community. Um, things are going well, though, otherwise in the Cleveland area? Absolutely. Uh, Just like many mid to major markets in the U.S., we have very tough demographic challenges, and many of those we'll talk about uh, in a few minutes is connecting these communities uh, to the best, the top economic opportunities our state and our nation offers. As you may know, most of our people are just utterly disconnected from the best opportunities and the work that we're exploring, that we're executing, seeks to change that. But, yeah, Cleveland is a great town, a resilient town, some very tough issues, but I think the community and the uh, political and governmental leaders are going about it in a thoughtful way. No magic solutions for sure. These things will take time, but beginning a forward march is always the first step. That is outstanding. For our audience, I want you to know that uh, Jonathan is a proud graduate of West Virginia University with a bachelor's degree in political science. He was uh, the captain of his football team. He played professional football for a little while, then came back and received his master's degree in educational foundations and a law degree from the University of Cincinnati. Uh, he is currently the state director uh, in the state of Ohio for the Believe in Ohio initiative to, be, to bring meaningful STEM training for underserved youth in urban areas. And his focus is indeed on entrepreneurship and innovation, and he'll explain what that means to be a nationally recognized leader on inclusive competitiveness and on, on really trying to, to empower those in our nation that, are, that have been under-empowered, that have been un, you know, unconnected to in many, many ways. And so for all those reasons, uh, we are very, very appreciative to have Jonathan on the line. I, I've known you for a number of years, Jonathan. I guess my first question is, how did you first learn about BDPA and what has kept you engaged with the organization over these many years? 
Absolutely, and we've come full circle, Wayne. Um, uh, as you may recall, and it'll be new to the audience, of course, back in 1999-2000, I had the unique opportunity in Cincinnati to literally cross over to cross over from the kind of work that I had been doing around civil rights. I was vice president of the Cincinnati branch, NAACP, uh, education reform, local government reform, led the most historic uh, government reform in 75 years in Cincinnati. I had been largely and really exclusively on that side of the canyon, if you will. Then I got an opportunity to literally cross over to the other side of the canyon with the Greater Cincinnati Chamber of Commerce, now called the Cincinnati USA Chamber of Commerce, asked me would I be interested in leading some effort around the new economy. Remember, this was the year 2000, I believe, and we used to call this innovation economy the new economy. And it was in my uh, exploration, looking for, because I, I knew in my heart there had to be some black people engaged in technology and innovation in Cincinnati that I didn't know about. And digging, it didn't take long to uncover BDPA. And I still remember making the call to you, Wayne, as president of the Cincinnati chapter, and we had, we had lunch at the Bankers Club when I introduced myself, what my role was with the Greater Cincinnati Chamber of Commerce. And here's something about you and BDPA. You recognize opportunity to connect to where the proverbial puck was going, not just where it is and, frankly, not where it had already been. So you were wide open to digging deeper and exploring more about how BDPA could be a greater contributor to the economic development, particularly around, again, what we call the new economy in Cincinnati. And that was my first engagement with BDPA, and it was wonderful engagement and really the beginning of a great friendship both personally to you as well as to the organization. And so the new economy that you had introduced to BDPA at that time has kind of kind of morphed itself over that past uh, you know, ten or fifteen years to what um you, you tended to to talk about and to preach on, which is this inclusive competitive urge with, within our community. Um you're an absolutely recognized leader on that. Why why don't you describe to our audience what, what you mean when you talk about inclusive competitiveness and how that impacts on STEM STEM training for young people. Just talk on that a little bit. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to. That's, uh, that's my engine. That's my motor. That's my passion, uh, Wayne. Let's level set a bit with an overall description of what we now call defined as the innovation economy, okay? Innovation economy is the period, the economic period we're in right now, beginning in the latter part of the 20th century and certainly the early part of the 21st century. This economy is marked, Wayne, by radical socioeconomic changes that are brought about by the convergence of at least, at least these five factors. One, further globalized commerce. Two, democratization or widely available information. Three, exponential growth of entrepreneurship all over the world. Four, the accelerated pace of discovery and new knowledge creation. And five, the increasing interconnectedness of just about everything. We've never had a period where all five of these factors converge so rapidly in one single period as we do right now, and we call that the innovation economy. Now, let's set that aside. Inclusive competitiveness is really about expanding opportunity within the innovation economy. We define it as uh, processes, policies, practices, programs, metrics that serve to improve the performance and productivity, two key words, performance and productivity of underserved Americans in the innovation economy. Why is STEM so important? 
Well, let's level set again with real economic productivity. Let's talk about African Americans, for example. During the last statistical period, Wayne, we witnessed just groundbreaking entrepreneurial spirit. The black entrepreneurship rate was about 63%. These are uh, SBA U.S. Census statistics. The national average is only 18%. So we had an entrepreneurship rate more than three times the national average. Thumbs up. Here's the crux of the matter. 1.9 million black-owned businesses. Thumbs up combined to contribute less than 1% of the gross domestic product of the United States and create only about 900,000 jobs. Wait, wait, wait. 1.9 yeah, million, million black businesses, 1.9, almost 2 million black businesses that are in existence, and you're saying that that, that, that engine that's, that's created out of our population, about 12 13% of the country, that that engine only created 1% of the gross domestic product and, and created something less than, than a million jobs? That's exactly right. Remember, most of the advocates focus on income. You hear things in conferences and on television and on radio programs. If black people were a nation, we'd have the ex largest economy in the world. They're talking about income. Make no mistake, Wayne, I'm all for high income, beginning with my own, okay? <laughs> but income is not the gap closer. Whatever uh, we earn in income, the owner makes X times more than that. So if we, if we continually rise in income alone, owners, the gap is still there because owners – have the built-in cushion of X multiplier over income. So we earn about a trillion dollars of income. That means a whole bunch of black people get up every day and go to work. But in terms of economic business productivity, nearly 13% of the U.S. population, 1.9 million businesses generate about $140 billion in revenue in a 14 to $15 trillion economy. What that says is that there's an awful lot of those, those businesses, an awful lot of those 1.9 businesses that they are, they are helping to bring revenue in, as you described, but they're really not creating jobs. They're really not uh, you know, creating, creating – well, there are a lot of sole proprietorships. A lot of folks that really aren't building you know, businesses that are going to grow and, and close the gap that you're talking about. My man, which gets us to the second level crux of the matter, why STEM is so important. When you look at the explosive growth of jobs and, and businesses and entrepreneurs, the disproportionate amount of those entrepreneurs have uh, 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 intellectual property and businesses that are grounded in science, technology, engineering, and math and I'll throw in an A for arts and steam. So that is absolutely critical. And when you match that with our uh, relatively low STEM productivity, then it begins to answer the question why our businesses are not explosive growth businesses. They don't create jobs. They don't create a lot of wealth because they're not aligned with the job and wealth-creating levers of our national, state, and regional economies. I see. I see. And that's what you're hoping to, to jumpstart in the black community. That's what you're hoping to jumpstart in STEM training is, is to have folks not just learn STEM, but also really learn how to leverage that, how to be in, inclusive and competitive in a, in a much larger sense. Oh, my gosh, Wayne, get out of my notebook. You're delivering better than I can. That's exactly right, man. That is exactly right. And the point that why we call it inclusive competitiveness is because the default, the default advocacy around minority business development, and we all support this default advocacy, is around traditional small business development, supplier diversity initiatives, uh, service kinds of businesses, 
construction kinds of businesses. All are absolutely necessary for an economically thriving community. However, alone, they are insufficient to build real economic prosperity. Inclusive competitiveness does not replace any of those efforts, any of those objectives, but it necessarily complements and builds new infrastructure to address 21st century challenges that we must have to be both included and competitive. The competitiveness is designed to connect to those levers of our national economy that we are counting on. We are counting on and investing in heavily in both the public and private sectors in hopes that it will in hopes that it will deliver the kind of national prosperity we enjoyed in the twentieth century. And so you you have spent an awful lot of your the, the time since you left the civil rights um part of of the, uh, the of of the, the 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 movement, if you will, and moved over to this STEM-related area, and to this you know really creating businesses and creating growth in that area. You spent a lot of time really evolving, as you described, and and to the place that you're at now. Now you're trying to implement some programs where it will actually be taught and will actually be you know implemented, not just by those of us that are already in in the industry, but also trying to create opportunities for young people in urban areas and other places. To, to actually to actually do it, and so one of those initiatives that you're involved in is the Believe in Ohio initiative, in which you're the state director. Can you give a, an overview of what that program looks to do? Absolutely, absolutely. The Believe in Ohio program is unique. It's pretty much a well-settled matter nationally, Wayne, that STEM education is a national education priority. However, most and all the STEM programs with which I am familiar focus exclusively on STEM education for job preparation. Again, we support that wholeheartedly. That is absolutely necessary, comma, but, as my mom would say, but insufficient to build the kind of economic prosperity we need in the 21st century. So we recognize STEM for job preparation and job acquisition. But we're coupling that with an exposure to entrepreneurship to fuel these dual pipelines of productivity, higher performing value-adding employees, and also higher growth STEM-based entrepreneurs. That's the recipe, the fundamental recipe for economic competitiveness in the 21st century. Believe in Ohio is the first statewide program to undertake both STEM as an employment imperative and building in the entrepreneurship imperative. And you and I and others are working to build mentoring networks and other support systems to begin, and I emphasize begin, the long, arduous, laborious process of building this capacity in our people and in our communities. There is no magic. Our programs are not magic. There is no magic. This is a long-term trajectory, but we must begin now. That that, that does cover it in quite in quite a um, powerful way, Jonathan. Uh, in the in the final moments that we have left, um, as you're as you're talking to a number of BDPA leaders and and thought leaders around the country, uh, what what final thoughts would you like to leave them with? Well, I would like to leave BDPA with these thoughts. One, recognizing the extraordinarily positive experiences I had with BDPA in Cincinnati. Also, I had the honor back more than a decade ago to attend one of the national conferences in Chicago. And just the spirit, the positive energy among these talented black professionals who are all seeking to make their highest and best contribution. 
my counsel to BDPA is in your regions because this game, this innovation economy game, aggregates into national and global economic competitiveness, but it begins at the local regional level. Each of our regions have innovation ecosystems that have developed over the last 10 to 20 years. BDPA, just like you were active at the early stages, and BDPA in Cincinnati was active in the early stages of forming Cincy Tech in Cincinnati and being an integral part of that innovation ecosystem. BDPA throughout the nation should assert itself and become a go-to contributor all of these ecosystems and both connecting up black talent to the system and, frankly, extracting equitable value from that system to return to our communities. Outstanding. Jonathan, if any of our listeners wanted to get in touch with you or talk with you more about your work, um, how do you recommend that they, that they reach out to you? Uh, thank you very much. You can visit our website at scaleuppartnersscaleup.com. Partners.com, or you can reach me at Jonathan, J-O-H-N-A-T-H-A-N, at ScaleUpPartners.com. Outstanding. Thank you very, very much for being our guest tonight, Jonathan. And um, you have spoken an awful lot about a lot of different things, including participation in our annual conference. So why don't we take a moment and get a word about the upcoming 37th annual BDPA Technology Conference. Join the evolution of IT and embrace the digital future at the 37th Annual National BDPA Technology Conference and Free Career Fair at the Washington Hilton Hotel, located at 1919 Connecticut Avenue, Northwest Washington, D.C., from August 18th to 22nd. BDPA is the largest African-American information technology association in the U.S., involved in training professionals and students in the fields of science, technology, engineering, and math. For the past 36 years, BDPA conferences have provided opportunities for innovators like you to get the knowledge and resources that are critical to stay on top. So please, from August 18th to 22nd, you too can join the evolution of IT and embrace the digital future. For more information on BDPA's National Conference and Free Career Fair, please visit www.bdpa.org. Hello, and welcome back to the BDPA, our radio show. This is Jayla Cruz, the co-host, and I will be interviewing past chapter president of BDPA, Washington, D.C., Midge Johnson. Hi, Midge. Welcome to the BDPA radio show. How are you today? I'm doing good, and thanks for having me. Sure. I'm excited to interview you, and I'd like our audience to know some highlights from your bio. So allow me to take a few moments to share your background with them. Mitch okay. Johnson has power, has a powerful legacy within BDPA. She is now 17, 17 years old with a career in the information technology industry that spans over 50 years. She served as the BDPA Washington, D.C. chapter president in 1989 through 1990. Her chapter's HSCC team finished in second in 1989 and first in 1990. During those two years, during those two years, her chapter hosted the 1990 National BDPA Technology Conference. Also among her accomplishments, she was the first national executive director. She set up the separate 501c3 for BETF and uh, those are some amazing accomplishments there. And with that, we would like to get started with our conversation. So, Midge, my first question for you is, how did you find out about BDPA when you first became involved? Well, I was working for a large consulting firm at the time, and one of the consultants there was telling me about this organization for uh, black data processing associates. And that was the terminology back then, as we're all African-Americans now, so they say. 
And she said, you should come to a meeting. I said, what do they do? Well, what was happening at the time the BPA was founded is that um, there were professional organizations that only our Caucasian counterpart could attend. That's how we had the foundation for Earl Pace Jr. founding the BDPA, Black Data Processing Associates. Well, I just happened to get into data processing by the skin of my teeth because at the time I got in, and as you said before, I'd been in the business for IT over 50 years. And my first job, I was a token. I accepted it. I got the experience that I needed. And when I uh, afterwards moved to uh, the Washington, D.C. area, I was definitely, and it was, seemed like there was more African-Americans in data processing here than there were in Cleveland, Ohio at the time. And so I said, well, let me go and see what this meeting is about. I went to the meeting, and I got the bug from the first minute of that meeting. I became involved immediately, and I volunteered for whatever because I was so excited that there was an organization, a professional organization for African-American information technology people, as we were then called data processors. Wow. And so in terms of your service to BDPA, what accomplishment are you the most proud of? Well, there, there are several. I, I was the first national executive director for BDPA. I also helped found the BETF, which is the BDPA Education Technology Foundation, which provides scholarships for the winners of the high school computer competition. I also helped found the Baltimore chapter. I was working on a contract in the Baltimore area, met a few African-American contra uh, contractors there, and told them about it. And I took a lot of trips up 95 from where I lived uh, near Washington to help them get it started. And... Um, the high school competition actually began with the Washington, D.C. chapter, and I think the first competition was just Washington, D.C. and Atlanta. And uh, we have Dr. Jesse Bimley to thank for that, and we all worked very close with him to get them prepared, to set it up, and to actually get corporations on board to support the students. That I'm very proud of. That's great. So in terms of challenges or obstacles that were faced, what types of challenges and obstacles did you have to overcome in in trying to accomplish some of those things that you had mentioned before? Well, to be honest, I was uh, a programmer in Cleveland before we transferred, before my then husband and I uh, were moved or transferred to the Washington, D.C. area. But... Um, I found that the technology in the Washington, D.C. area at the time, that was back in the 70s, was a little bit more advanced than what I was exposed to back in Cleveland. And being in a consulting environment, I got exposed to a lot of different platforms, a lot of dis different systems. And I literally started out with a tape-generated system, which went to the disk operating system, which went to a virtual operating system to what we have now, so I was kind of like at the beginning of it all before it started really moving fast. And I found that because of the government agencies and organizations here, they had the resources to provide the latest in technology at the time, and that was really great to see. What do you think in terms of the past, present, and future evolution of information technology? As we know that the um, the national conference in Washington, D.C. is surrounding the topic of the evolution for IT. So what are your thoughts on the evolution of IT? Well, as they used to say back in the day, we've come a long way, baby. <laughs> we really have. Uh, the platforms have become a lot more complex. They're not as simplistic as they were back in the day when I first started. Now there's so many components to a system, so many different platforms that can run together, and it's gotten to the point where they've not totally obsoleted the mainframe, but close to it. I think the mainframe has evolved to and become one of the largest client servers 
in the IT processing? Um, and you also have a book entitled They Didn't Get That Way by Themselves. Can you tell us more about that? Yes, it's really kind of ironic. I never desired to be a writer of any sorts, but I was led by the Holy Spirit and God to write this book because all my children are grown. I have seven grandchildren, but as time goes on, you begin to see more and more children out of control. They've changed the laws on corporate punishments in school, so there's no punishment that they can have there, and a lot of parents can't spank or or, or chastise their children in public or even at home anymore. And you wonder how the kids got to the place where they act out and do the things they do. And I was led to write the book by sharing and using themes and scriptures in the Bible and common sense approaches and my own personal experience in raising my children. And one of the things I come to learn is that children are very smart. Most parents, and I say most parents, have a tendency to think because their babies can't talk, they don't understand and not learning. And I noticed on my children and my grandchildren, between the ages of four months and six months, they understand a lot. They just can't talk. They know who they're dealing with. They just can't talk. They push the envelope and they'll try you. They just can't talk. They can learn a lot. But we as parents think they're just a baby. No, they're smart babies. And at that point, I, I kind of figured, since they've changed the rules and, and uh, laws a lot, that you have three years from the time they're born till they get three to let them know that you're the one in charge, you're the boss, you're the teacher, you're the discipliner, but more importantly than all of that, they have to know that you love them from minute one, from minute one. And I, I tried to write the book where with uh, by age groups for the first seven years, and I have two more parts that are coming out soon. We have the first seven years, which is what this book is, and we have the second seven years and third seven years. The first seven years, to me, are the most critical. And you have the first three years of the seven years to get in the teachings and the discipline. At three years old to start, it's a lot late. And once they go to school and once they're out, you can't get there. But one of the things that I did learn over the years is that for those who are so inclined to receive it, you can pray over your children, not just the uh, now I lay me down to sleep prayer, but genuine prayer based on godly scriptures. And I felt led to do that. So the book is set up with love, discipline, and learning in each age group and the things you can do. It's not a, a concrete or firm way to do things, but it gives you an idea to think. And one of the biggest things that I was trying to impart was know your child. The only way you can train your child is to know what their buttons are, what their triggers are, and for each child they're different. And disciplining the children is never to be the same because their personalities and their reactions are different, so their disciplines have to be different. And there was a lot I learned along the way. So here I am going through all of this, and believe it or not, most of my children work with computers or in IT. It's amazing to me now, and that's not what I tried to get them to do. But I just felt led to to uh, write that book, and I think it would be helpful for newborn parents, for parents of newborns, grandparents, teachers, daycares, and nannies. Anybody who works with children, they can learn all those little tools to help them get over. And if so inclined, they can actually pray the prayers. I put the prayers in there based on the scriptures in the Bible. Oh, that's great. That's really cool. That's great. That sounds like a really good read. It sounds like it would be very beneficial. And um, in terms of the generation that we have now uh, with the upbringing, what are your thoughts on what they, I guess, what, where do you see it going and what do you think is needed to really give the current generation, I guess, more of a push into a direction that we can have more of a growing, 
economy and, and spread more wealth around to really start um, minimizing some of these um, deficiencies that we're seeing in some of the areas within our global world, I guess. One of the things that I noticed in my upbringing and my kids is uh, there was some generations back where they didn't share a lot, and partly because they didn't know a lot or didn't have a lot. But as time evolved and we started becoming introduced to more uh, kinds of information that is beneficial to being able to operate as an independent, self-reliant adult, it wasn't being shared the way it should have been. And I think parents back then said, well, their children, they don't need to know. My thought now, and I adhere to it, is as soon as you think they understand, begin teaching them fundamentals and adding to it as they go through life. So by the time they're ready to venture out into life itself, you have been inputting, training, and giving information all along the way. And uh, I know one of the things that will show up in the other book, I always, this is me, I encourage giving um, allowances because money talks. Kids know about money. So you give them allowances, and with that allowance, there are certain chores they have to do. If they don't do it, we don't argue, we don't fight, we just deduct from the allowance, anything that I have to do, they were supposed to do, and I found out that money talks. It seems a little far-fetched, but you actually teach them how to value the money and what what happens when you don't value and how you use it um, without thinking or planning. And I remember what we used to do as kids, and I know they'll do it now, they used to have bank accounts in elementary school where you could bring a dollar a week in and put the bank in. They stopped that. So maybe our kids weren't taught to save at an early age like we were, and you have to keep remembering, even though the school doesn't do it, we have to remember to teach them about saving, to teach them about planning ahead, not to the depth that we do as adult parents, but so by the time they become adults, they have a good idea and a good foundation on how to make it in this world. Okay, yes, that's great. Now, what um, do you have any life lessons that you would like to share with the BDPA iRadio audience? Well, not anything in-depth or, you know, new, nothing new. But one thing that I've come to learn is anything you want to do and you want to do it well, make sure you have a passion for it because without that passion, you won't be able to handle the ups and downs, the uh, failures and successes. Uh, they will get you down and cause you to get frustrated. If you have a passion for it, they won't stop you. They will only uh, serve to motivate you more. And I've come to learn that being a team player in just about everything you do as far as work, entrepreneurship, and all those kind of things is better than being a bone alone because sometimes we get so much into being a bone alone while we're busy doing it all, saying it all, planning it all, we're shutting out what could be beneficial and fruitful information that could even make what we're doing better. Okay, great. Great. Now, in the remaining minutes, um, would you like to share a final thought for the audience or perhaps a memory that you have uh, attending or participating in and working uh, during the national conference? Well, I, I did work with the national conferences for like nine years, part of the national conference committee being the executive director at the time, and it was very valuable. But the one thought that I like to let everybody know is that I personally believe that BDPA was very instrumental in more African Americans getting into and being accepted as viable information technology employees and entrepreneurs. That's my thought for the day. Thank you so much. It really has been a pleasure to listen and learn from you, Midge. I thank you for being a guest tonight and wish you the best. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. All right. And now we are going to hear from a word from our sponsor. Join the evolution of IT and embrace the digital future at the 37th Annual National BDPA Technology Conference and Free Career Fair at the Washington Hilton Hotel, 
located at 1919 Connecticut Avenue, Northwest Washington, D.C., from August 18th to 22nd. BDPA is the largest African-American information technology association in the U.S., involved in training professionals and students in the fields of science, technology, engineering, and math. For the past 36 years, BDPA conferences have provided opportunities for innovators like you to get the knowledge and resources that are critical to stay on top. So please, from August 18th to 22nd, you too can join the evolution of IT and embrace the digital future. For more information on BDPA's National Conference and Free Career Fair, please visit www.bdpa.org. Thank you. Okay, and so we're back in the studio. We've just had an opportunity to have great interviews with Midge Johnson and Jonathan Hollifield. I'm going to turn the microphone back over to our first co-host, Wayne Hicks. And Wayne, let's uh, just have an open microphone. Well, thank you very much. Um, it, it, it was so good to hear from our guest, uh, Midge Johnson, Um she is truly a wonderful person, having celebrated her 72nd birthday this past uh, this past Friday. Um, she really has done an awful lot within the industry, an awful lot within BDPA. And then I was so thrilled by your book, um, Midge. Uh, they didn't get that way by themselves. Um, it, just an overall, just a just a great uh, great legacy that you have left. Um, you have been to a lot of conferences. What and you talked about how. Conferences really do help to to empower individual employees and and business owners. I, I'm just curious. We're going to have an awful lot of folks coming to uh, your neck of the woods, to the Washington D.C. area. What what is it that you suggest to them in terms of getting the most out of their conference experience? Well, having been to a lot of them, <laughs> uh, first thing that comes to my mind is the career fair. People are still looking for jobs. Uh, we have great companies and corporations who are represented there, they have their best recruiters there, and they view BDPA as one of those career fairs you would like to go to because it's not just for African Americans, it's for anybody looking for a job. We have evolved from being a black data processing associates to BDPA information technology. So we have evolved with it too, and it's not just for African Americans, it's for anybody looking for a job, which makes BDPA a viable uh, organization to always want to be, participate in as far as career fairs. The thing that um, kind of excites me a lot is the computer competition because when I was the local president, I was very much involved uh, with the training near its last stages and that kind of thing. And what I did while they were being trained was trying to get corporate sponsorship and support to take care of the needs when we weren't in Washington, i.e., airfare hotel, food, the whole nine yards, because that very first computer competition with the two teams, we had a team of five young students, and not one of them had ever been out of the D.C. Uh, area. None of them had ever been in a hotel. None of them had ever flown a plane before, and it was the first time they all had seen African Americans dressed professionally on a daily basis. That, to me, was very impressionable for them, and I was always glad to be a part of that. That is outstanding. This is uh, year 2015. It's our 40th anniversary, and one of the things we're going to do is is, um, is pay honor to the team that was trained by your chapter in Washington, D.C. in 1990. Uh, this will be the oh. 25th anniversary of that 1990 um, HSCC Champions, and so we really are looking forward to to um, really honoring those those people who have now grown on to have wonderful careers uh, in the industry over the course of that 25 years. And, and I, I am hopeful that you will find a way to come down and join us uh, during during that um, four day period of of the conference this year. Well, I did. Mr. Pace made me promise that I would be here this year, and I said I would, and I will. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. The, the young lady that you were that was interviewing you, um, Jayla, is a recent graduate from a college in Indiana, the Indiana University Purdue University of Indianapolis, IUPUI, and uh, she 
um, has the the privilege of having been to a number of high school computer competitions as a student back in high school, and she earned scholarships which she used on her on her college time, and and a lot of what she has been able to experience really comes as a result of the work that you were doing, you know, 25, 30 years ago within BDK to really help this thing stay alive. Wow. Jayla, any thoughts on, on your experiences as a high school computer competition competitor and kind of how that's prepared you for the success that you, you've had um, in college and that you're looking to experience um, uh, coming out of college? Yeah, um, it was a great experience for me going through the program when I first uh, found out about it in uh, as a freshman in high school. And then um, I was the same way when I first uh, became involved with the program. I had never been on a plane before, and um, I didn't really – I was going into the direction of uh, engineering um, so it's still in STEM, um, but then once I became involved with more of the technology aspect and began to learn more about those careers in, like, data management and web development and uh, software engineering, um, that really opened and expanded um, what I what was out there and the opportunities that, what, that were out there. So being able to... Um, get on a plane and go to another state and just be able to go to a conference for a week and just take all of that in, all of the education, all of the connections, the experience in general was just amazing. So I definitely am an advocate of the program to be able to spread the word out to others to get involved with it because it's it's very beneficial and very needed within our community to increase. Uh, I know that what, what Jonathan was saying earlier, and as far as the entrepreneurs and types of jobs that uh, we are out there holding and not being able to have the capability to raise the the level of the um, gross domestic product, it's just that we have to do a lot more, and it just says that there's so much more that has to be done. So um, we really have to, I guess, like uh, create more space there for people to become more educated as far as um, gaining more experience so that they can help to grow the economy and be on top and uh, competitive with all of the other individuals who are out there. I see Jonathan has joined us back on the line. Uh, Jonathan and Jayla, Jayla had um, you know, brought up some of the lessons that you learned in, in listening to your interview. Um, Jayla is, is one of our young uh, superstars within BDPA. Uh, she is, she is uh, completing her college education. She's really done some outstanding work outside of college in a very creative way in terms of she's published her own magazine. She has put on her own, her own shows, um, re- really doing a lot of great stuff. Ha- has a lot of our listeners are, in fact, um, young people. Um, Jonathan, what, what what do you have to say to them as they're really looking at the challenges that you laid out to them about uh, you know what they need to do both in terms of learning about STEM and then also learning about entrepreneurship? Yeah, I, I listened to uh, Jayla's uh, uh, comments, and they were powerful, and I'm sure that reflects the kind of young talent that's in the organization. And let me let me address your question this way, Wayne, by defining entrepreneurship. I've adopted the definition of entrepreneurship that was first put forth by Professor Howard Stevenson uh, at Harvard Business School. He defines, and I have adopted this uh, definition, entrepreneurship as the pursuit of opportunity without regard to resources currently controlled, period. The That speaks to an awful lot of folks in the, in the black community. That's what we're talking about. We have the spirit. So now our challenge is to align that spirit with the levers that really trigger growth and prosperity. 
continue to do the wonderful things that we have always done. And, and, you know, all of that is great. But the challenge for us is how do we complement that, that outstanding, largely 20th century work? And we have dragged a lot of challenges from the 20th century into the 21st century, so there's still a mighty work in that area to be done but also build new infrastructure, new organizational focus, new community economic narrative, new education leadership, new not-for-profit leadership, new promising practices and policies and demonstration projects that ultimately connect to the most promising opportunities in the world today. That infrastructure is largely absent, and in many of the best cases, it's nascent and in an infancy state. So it's really about nurturing that thing that we have and aligning it with the top opportunities our nation has to provide. That is outstanding. Jayla or Fran, any any comments or feedback for either of our guests? I do. I have... um a question for Jonathan. Do you think that um, maybe one of the things that's kind of uh, a hindering within the black community would be uh, due to, I know that you said you your involvement with the civil rights, so do you think that it's kind of like a result of the upbringing, I guess, the nation upbringing as far as what our position was um, in the past? Yeah, I think it does in a couple of ways. Um, uh, one of the wonderful thought leaders around entrepreneurship and economic prosperity, prosperity, John Sibley Butler at University of Texas, he and I were talking one day and he said, you know, the answer is then who are your heroes? And while we don't in any way diminish the heroes that have brought us thus far, we have to expand the portfolio of heroes, the civil rights, governmental leaders and, and pastors and wonderful contributors to our community and to our nation, again, are necessary, but alone are insufficient. People like Ken Coleman at Andreessen Horowitz, who's leading, uh, Andreessen Horowitz is one of the nation's leading uh, uh, venture capital firms, and he's leading an effort on behalf of Andreessen Horowitz to build out the minority, quote-unquote, innovation ecosystem and connect to it because they believe there's latent investment that offers superior return on investment to their company. They're not doing it as a charity or a matter of equity. They're doing it as a business ROI strategy, as an economic imperative. So I guess at the end of the day, recall in the 1970s, Schoolhouse Rock, Conjunction, junction. Any of you remember that? What's your function? Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. There you go. I do too. I used to love those things. My point, though, is I'm an and guy, not a but or an or guy, an and guy. Everything mm-hmm. we are currently doing that is productive and a new and complementary, not competing, not replacing focus on competing in today's innovation economy. Okay, that's good. That's good. How do you think that we can really start to dig down and to start seeing some impact? Well, you know, our nation has invested um, in Uh, building largely regional innovation ecosystems. Wherever you live, there is an innovation ecosystem. There is some strategy, some approach to improve that region's economic competitiveness that includes a thrust or a focus on innovation. Uh, We have uh, the sister who was on the line earlier from Washington, D.C., Boy, oh, boy, you're talking about a nascent, yet it's both nascent and mature. 
uh, uh, innovation ecosystem in Washington or Baltimore or Cleveland or Cincinnati or Pittsburgh or any other community. They all have these ecosystems, and it begins by connecting and learning what that system is. And it's a loosely connected uh, network of assets from capital to professional services to entrepreneurship support to business plan development to research and commercialization and tech transfer. In our communities, these activities are going on in a very robust fashion. Part of the challenge for folks like BDPA and Scale Up Partners is to make what is largely an invisible network visible. Remember, when we, we who grew up in the Midwest, for example, we knew what prosperity looked like, smokestacks and big plants. This thing is largely invisible to those who are disconnected from it. And one of our chief challenges is to get connected to it and begin to make it visible. Remember, these innovation economy assets are overwhelmingly located in urban areas. They're not nearly as much in suburbia or in rural areas. They have different kinds of challenges. They have challenges of proximity, particularly for rural communities. We live next door to the very assets that will be the salvation of our nation. But they're invisible. Our task is to make them visible, and leadership organizations like BDPA, working with organizations like Scale Up Partners, can certainly illuminate that. Well, that, that is outstanding. Um, Fran, I'm going to turn it over to you. Uh, you've heard an awful lot from our from our two guests, Jonathan Hollyville of of Scale Up Partners, and uh, Midge Johnson, retired executive director and uh, author, and uh, just an awful lot of good information being shared tonight. Wayne, I totally agree. It is so exciting to be part of the show, to be part of BDPA. I think our guest and our co-host, Everaldo, in the background, and the fact that we've got lots of support nationally is an example of what BDPA is all about. BDPA provides the opportunity for African Americans to advance in IT from the classroom to the boardroom. I love the fact that Jayla is on the phone and Midge is on the phone. Um, we have the start, we have the continuity, and we have just examples of where the organization is going. I know that we had two commercials about the conference coming up in August, and I think that, again, for our listening audience, our conversation, the conversations that go on through social media, the conversations and the information exchange that goes on um, within chapters and regions is all has an opportunity to culminate in August at our national conference. So I would just like to say thank you again to our co-hosts, thank you again to our guests, thank you again to our sponsors, and to the BDPA family for really being committed to this information exchange um, and really just opportunity to, I'm going to pick up on Jonathan's phrase, um, to take the invisible and make it visible. We have intellectual property. We have intellectual value. We have the capital, which is both collaboration and it is through computing and technology. It's the capital that is um, that allows us to really move forward as a community. So I'm I'm just very very excited. And Wayne, I know that in the last show you talked a little bit about the conference coming up. Um, would just love you to say a few words, and then I'm going to turn it over to Midge, Jonathan, and Jayla to uh, say a few words about the conference, and then we'll close off the show. Well, thank you very much. Um, very, very honored and pleased to to come to a conference that that represents our 40 years of existence. Uh, we're going to spend an awful lot of time at this conference talking about the rebranding and the and the um, kind of burnishing the image of BDPA in terms of a new logo, in terms of a, 
of a, a lot of a, a lot of repositioning of our programs. The thing that I'm very excited about is is seeing ninety right now we have ninety nine corporate sponsors. So seeing those corporate sponsors as they are investing in BDPA through workshops and through plenary sessions and through scholarships. Uh, the fact that we'll be giving out over $140,000 in college scholarships during that week of the conference. Um, we'll be announcing later this week a, a new uh, scholarship from Monsanto, who's going to be giving out uh, over $10,000 in college scholarships. And so that will be something that we announced very shortly, we being the BDPA Education and Technology Foundation. It's just a very exciting time to be in Washington, D.C., and I encourage everyone who is on the line to find a way to be in D.C. that week. If you need any support in doing that, feel free to reach out to your local chapter. Feel free to reach out to us here on the BDPA iRadio show. Let's find a way to truly set records in terms of attendance and support of BDPA in the year of our Lord, 2015. Mm, thank you, Wayne. Um, Mitch, you have been with BDPA since the beginning, um, and you, of course, are going to be joining this conference. Uh, words of encouragement or perspective um, for our listening audience. Why should they attend? What can they expect? You have the perspective. Well, for one thing, we all know we're in a high-tech society, and it's not going to decrease. So there are opportunities for teachers, the opportunities for counselors, the opportunities for those who work with students after school, whatever, to at least try to come to get better insight on what's happening in the information technology uh, curriculum because then they then it can communicate better with the youth that are around them and with other coworkers. I would encourage and everybody who can possibly be there to plan to attend. Um, I'm going to be there. Obviously, it's the fourth anniversary. I definitely will be there. But I'm going to talk to and call a few of the ones uh, who were there back in the day and see if they will entertain the thought of coming and committing to be here. Mm, thank you, Mitch. Uh, Jonathan, mm-hmm. wanted to get your perspective on the national conference. I mean, you you bring as a guest um, a very interesting perspective. You're bringing together uh, social service, uh, civic commitment, and um, you know the intellectual economy. So, from your perspective, a national conference of this uh, scale. What are your thoughts in terms of encouraging people to attend and how they might get the most out of the experience? Uh, thank you, Fran, and thank you for the opportunity to share with uh, BDPA uh, inclusive competitiveness and the work that we're doing to build to help build the capacity of black folks to be competitive in the innovation economy. I also want to shout out to the conference in Chicago that I, I enjoyed uh, so much. Um, it was early 2000s, and I had the distinct pleasure during that conference, to nominate for national president one Wayne Hicks. And the welcome. Yes, I did. It was, for me, it was an extraordinary experience, just overwhelmingly positive. Uh, And what I mean by positive is not just fun. I don't mean it that way but a level of uh, gravitas and seriousness about the matters at hand. Yes, we had fun, but there was a level of weight, if you will, uh, that the organization projected that I found that was so impressive. Uh, Perhaps I'll have an opportunity to revisit the conference this year in D.C. I'm not sure I'll have that opportunity, but I know it's just a wonderful collection of some of the best that uh, we have to offer the nation and the world, so an extraordinary organization, an extraordinary legacy, and I sense the best is yet to come. Mm, Wonderful. Thank you, Jonathan. And Jayla, um, you are coming back to the conference um, after a number of years. 
is, you know, a point of excitement. And as you uh, finish up college and, you know, continue on your entrepreneurial endeavors, what are you hoping to gain and give at the conference? Um, that's a, a big question. <laughs> um, you know, I'm just looking to um, really learn. I feel like there's a, a, a great learning opportunity there um, and to help to create some impact. So um, connecting with like-minded individuals, uh, perhaps we can all work together to create something greater, greater that can help the community. And uh, so that's what's exciting to me, to be able to just be there and uh, connecting with so many people um, because together we can be able to create a positive impact. Mm, thank you. And, and Jayla, I, I will say that, you know, as a, an entrepreneur that sponsors college students so that they have um, BDPA, an opportunity to be part of the BDPA community, I think individuals like yourself who have participated in the high school computer competition and gained scholarships and then gone on to college and are living their lives, you are a role model that the current high school students can really look to and communicate with, um, you are part of that very tangible link from the classroom to the boardroom. So I, I think it's really powerful that the conference brings people of all ages and all experiences in one place, um, and there is this collective sharing and an energy that goes beyond that week um, throughout the rest of the year so that we, in fact, can stay connected as a community. So I want to, again, encourage our listening audience, if you haven't done so already, please go to www.bpa.org. We have a national conference coming up in Washington, D.C. It is going to be phenomenal. Um, there is a lot of information exchange and there will be opportunities to network, attend a career conference, meet with our corporate sponsors, see your chapter leaders, um, see other volunteers, support students on the high school and college level, and really get re-energized in terms of what BDPA is doing and where it's going, and to recognize and celebrate um, where BDPA has come from. So with that, uh, I'm going to close out the show. Thank you again to our co-hosts and our guests. It's really been a pleasure. Please join us on the second and fourth Tuesday of every month. And we encourage you to post on Facebook, tweet on Twitter, and to also follow us on blogtalkradio.com slash BDPA. Have a great evening, and we will see you and hopefully hear from you on the second Tuesday of June, which is June 9, 2015. BDPA iRadio, linking business, education, and technology. The BDPA iRadio show creates a vibrant communications platform that speaks to all BDPA stakeholders. Hosted by Fran McNeil, sponsored by the BDPA Education and Technology Foundation, and the Executive Director, Wayne Hicks. Produced by Everaldo Gallimore. Technical advice by John Melanson. BDPA iRadio broadcasts the second and fourth Tuesday of every month. Join us on blogtalkradio.com backslash.